Um, gosh, it's the second Sunday of Advent, which is really hard to believe. Um, I don't know where this year has gone, but we are continuing our Advent series. Journeying through the lectionary, like I mentioned last week, is that um, the selected readings for the broader church. And so uh, we are journeying along with a lot of other believers throughout the world um, who are looking at these scripture passages as well. But we're going to pay attention to the incarnation as particularity, this idea of Christ made flesh in the person of Jesus who came at a particular time and place and among people in a particular story as a way of love. And we're also going to pay attention to how Christ continues to come to us in the particularities and, and in the shadows. As I sat with today's text this week, I was reminded of all the shadows that we have sat in this year and that we continue to sit in. I recognize and lament that this place in which we live, um, this community, this, this world, this city, is at times a war zone of its own in various ways as we live in the shadows of death and of empire, of consumerism, of white supremacy, of gun violence. I don't know about you, but I think I can feel the weight of the shadows. And as someone who largely operates out of intuition, I can sense that weight through tension in the air, particularly when I find myself in public spaces, out and about, even though I don't go into many of those these days, it's, it's like I can feel it, right? I walk into the grocery and I'm just like, oh my gosh. I can feel that tension. I can see it evidenced and I can see the effects of it through increased acceptance of violent and hateful action toward other human beings made really mainstream by prominent political figures as well as through verdicts rendered by the courts in this land. And if I'm honest, I also am tempted to get sucked into dehumanizing people that are right in front of me, judging based on the biases that are ingrained in me. A couple of weeks ago, our water heater went out, and um, I hate to say it, but uh, the plumber who pulled into the driveway to install the new one uh, had a red hat in the front of his truck, and I noticed it, and I got a little, like, mm, in me, and I couldn't make out the lettering. And never mind you, his uh, colors for work were blue and also red, but, but I just noticed that tension in myself. It happens for me too. The question I think that I'm faced with today, and I think we are faced with today, is that living in the shadows of war in the land, how might we find peace? How might we find release? Laying down the weapons that we've picked up along the way. In Luke chapter 3, our text for today, we are reminded that the incarnation of the first enfleshed Christ, who is Jesus, came during a particular time, but also to a particular place where the people had been prepared by John the Baptist. We're going to take a look at the text. You can open up or click there in your bulletin. Um, to Luke chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 from the NRSV version today. I'm going to ask that we pay attention to the particularity of place as I read. 
In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. So we can look directly at verse 1. And the author is not only referring to particular time, but to a particular place. Land is actually important here. It's made clear by the mention of rulers. Emperor Tiberius is the emperor of the entire Roman Empire, okay? which is a whole region of land. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea, which happened to be a Roman province. And then you have Herod and Philip and Licinius. They are tetrarchs who ruled over Galilee, Eteria, Trachonitis, and Abilene. These are territories, okay, that were once under the rule of Herod the Great, but then they were split um, at his death, they were split amongst these Hellenistic Jews. But ultimately, these three ruled because they were given power. They were appointed by Roman authorities. The point is this. The whole region was occupied by colonizers of that day. The people are living in the shadows of the empire throughout their land. And it is here, in the land plagued with these tensions and warring, that Christ comes and God speaks. Verse 2 says, The word of God came to John, who then goes into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Notice that John moves outside of the urban centers into the wilderness. Right? This is a symbol for the formative history of Israel. And here, in this place and on this land, he calls people to repentance and baptizes them. It is a call to have faith in the midst of life lived under the influence of these occupiers. To repent, metanoia in the Greek, means to change one's mind. To change one's mind for the forgiveness or the aphasis, release of bondage or imprisonment to sin, the amartia, which means to miss the mark or to be an heir of what God intended for the people. It is here at the riverside of baptism that I believe we too are released through changing our minds and released from that which misses the mark of what God intends for us. It is here that the weapons that we have picked up along the way can be laid down as we hold faith. 
faith that the way of the Lord, this way of peace, is coming in Jesus. Verses 4 through 6 further draw us into the land and the particularity of place. So I want to read them again. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I've read quite a bit from the, new, um, from the First Nations version of the New Testament. And for the last line, it actually says, Then all people will clearly see the good road that sets them free. I've learned quite a bit, and so in reading the, new, the, the First Nations New Testament version, there's been an increase for me paying uh, attention to the land, right? To realize that as we pay attention to the land, um, it affects how we take in Scripture. We learn something from our everyday experiences on the land, walking on paths and traveling on roads. And every time I think of this idea or what paths I have taken, I am transported back <laughs> to my time and my memories of being in Haiti because there have been many different roads I have taken in Haiti. I've experienced beauty of footpaths through hills and valleys leading to water and leading to plains that give way to the most beautiful I've taken footpaths that have led to long-cherished visits with people who welcomed me into their homes. And many times I've experienced a kind of bondage of impassable roads. Roads that go through deep rivers and up muddy embankments, getting stuck and requiring a human towing system. Roads that have so many rocks that they have scraped the bottom of the floorboards. You could feel it with your feet. And I had to get out in order for the car to pass because we were, it's just a little too much for the three of us to be in that car. Roads that were full of broken glass with a semi-truck full of bottles knocked into the road on its side. Burning tires, felled trees, concrete blocks, barbed wire, and rocks used in the wisdom of protest by those whose voices were often ignored. And roads that had simply been overgrown by brush, mounting to mirror footpaths that looked quite impassable. And I've also seen roads cleared by people coming together, preparing the way for the arrival of beloved guests, and in faith that a better and more peaceful time was soon to arrive. This Advent, I want to encourage us to listen to the voices of those who have come before us, who have been here in this land to listen to those who are marginalized and oppressed in the caste system of colonizing rule that plays out today. I want to encourage us to pay attention to how our vision of the good road 
becomes more clear because it is the good road that sets us free. So right now, I'd like to do just that in the next few moments. Through silent confession and a bit of meditation, if you will, I ask you to just sit and listen as I read a poem by Joy Harjo. It's from her book, An American Sunrise. She's an indigenous woman who is also the poet laureate of the United States. This poem is broken into sections that are um, listed by color. So I will read those colors and read this poem. It is called Weapons, or what I have taken into my hand to speak when I have no words. I encourage you to listen and to reflect and to enter a posture of confession as I read. Black. Before there was anything else possible, we settled there, not far from the river, at the ragged edge of night. There were no words for eyes or light or even being. Imagination took its first breath while we were camped there in the nowhere. Yellow. We struck up a conversation. Somebody opened their hands with food. The drum brought forth the language of the earth. An elder woman's voice urged the stars out of their houses to come dance with us. A young man followed with a new song that brought excitement to the young women wrapped in shawls who were dancing and brought forth ancestors who danced with us. Red. Each of us is a wave in the river of humanity. If we break, we bleed out. If we move forward together, we are bound together by scarlet waters of belief. One side is war. One side feeds the generations. We are bright with the need for life. Green. After winter snow, after you have left, after giving up, after the planting, after letting the horses free to roam, after the loving, after yes, never know. The grasses rise up from the earth to answer the winds in song. After I rise up with this shimmering love to sing. Blue. If you really love me, sweetheart, you would not forsake me here at the dawn of forever. I will always love you, always sing the sky to eternity. I will meet you there at the seamless edge of sunrise. the particularities of place, the love of Christ met us, will meet us again, and continues to meet us. And this is good news today. Together we hold faith that through the incarnation as particularity in this place, 
today. Peace is coming, that the good road sets us free. So we return to the land, and sometimes apart from the urban centers. We return to the water which gives life. Jesus, the first enfleshed Christ, came to a particular place in which people had been prepared by John the Baptist. And Christ will come again in the particularities of place. And today, our text begs that we be prepared. There are a few questions listed in your bulletin I want to encourage you to reflect upon this week, but I'm going to read them now. There are these. As we live in a land plagued with war and tension, what does preparing the way look like? What does it look like to have faith and to seek peace? What weapons do we need to lay down in repentance and forgiveness? And in our day-to-day lives, what do we need to confess as those who have held privilege in the land and perpetuated oppressive systems of colonization? I encourage you to sit with those questions this week as we live in the shadows of death, consumerism, and gun violence, and white supremacy. Christ is showing up meeting us where we find ourselves today, proclaiming new possibilities in the way of mystery at work among us. So in the midst of a warring world, might we keep faith? Might we find peace and prepare the way of the Lord and his people here? Might we turn our backs on previous loyalties laying down the weapons that we've picked up along the way, these oppressive forces that don't lead to the good road. May we be open to the work of the Spirit, who is always at work to change our minds and be released from the bondage that has kept us, missing the mark of what God intends in this place so that all people will clearly see the good road sets them free. I want to do something a little different this morning. We don't do this very often. Two things simultaneously. As a response, um, during the Lord's table, I want to invite you, if you would like, to remember your own baptism if you've been baptized. You're welcome to touch the water up here on the table as you come forward for your communion elements. I also want to extend an invitation that if you've not been baptized, and if you would like to do that, even today, to talk to me. You all can join me in the Lord's Table Liturgy. As we draw closer to the celebration of his birth, as we long to follow Jesus beyond Bethlehem, we proclaim that mystery we call faith. Christ died to scatter the arrogance of death. Christ was raised, picking up resurrection and carrying it into the new dawn. Christ will return 
as your love stretches to the end of time. Life takes place here and now as you, Holy One, pour out your spirit upon those gathered around the table and on the gifts prepared for the meal. The bread, which is broken, not only feeds us, but gives us the compassion to hear the voices of those crying out in despair and fear. The cup of grace touches us, so we will not douse the spirit, but be voices of justice, repairers of poverty's potholes, lock pickers of addiction cells, weavers of garments of kindness. The table of the Lord is open for all who put their faith in Christ. Come. Um.